Welcome to the podcast for Resurrection Lutheran Church in Fredericksburg, Texas. I'm Pastor Garrett Buvinghausen. Today is Thursday, July 2nd, 2020. We are doing our segment on uh, preparing for Sunday, and this coming Sunday is the fourth Sunday after Trinity. Um, I'm going to go ahead and, and get started here because, uh, and, and because, well, in case you haven't heard, well, you can probably hear it, you probably hear it throughout uh, the recording of this, but the sound quality is a little bit different. I'm having the microphone right up next to my mouth here because I'm in a different spot. I'm not usually, I'm, I'm usually in my study, but I'm actually out in our auxiliary building here at church uh, because the, the cleaning folks are here and um, I don't want a whole lot of banging and, uh, you know, vacuum cleaner sounds in the background, too distracting. But um, I'll deal with some lively room here. The echoing is not so bad. Uh, so, but it's also a little warm out here because uh, we don't use this building all that often, especially since the pandemic started. So it's a little warm. I've got the AC on, but it's uh, it's taking it's taking its sweet time to kick in. So I'm going to go ahead and get started here to talk about these texts for the upcoming Sunday, uh, Fraternity Four. Uh, before we begin, though, uh, let's begin with a word of prayer with the collect for this coming Sunday. Let us pray. O Lord, grant that the course of this world may be so peaceably ordered by your governance that your church may joyfully serve you in all godly quietness. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. So let's begin with the gospel text. Remember how I've been harping on it, I think, this whole time that uh, the gospel text is the heart and soul. It's the center of uh, the texts that, that all the other texts on Sunday revolve around this gospel text. So the gospel for this Sunday comes from Luke chapter 6, verses 36 through 42. Jesus said, Be merciful even as your Father is merciful. Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgive, and you will be forgiven. Excuse me. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. He also told them a parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, Brother, let me take out the speck that is in your eye, when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take out the speck that is in your brother's eye. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise be to thee, O Christ. So, we see here that... Uh, a lot of law, right? I mean, this is part of uh, Luke uh, and his recording of Jesus' um, Sermon on the Plain, 
right? Um, he uh, is, this is, uh, yeah, this is, this is part of it, where um, you see him lay down, uh, really, a lot of law. And sometimes, you know, you can read this and go, well, what am I supposed to do with this? Um, how am I supposed to read this? Uh, doesn't sound all that forgiving. You know, it's hard, right? Be, be merciful. Okay, that sounds good. This is kind of something, I'll, I'll just say this right now. Uh, it was one of, the, one of the best exercises I did uh, in the seminary uh, at Fort Wayne with um, Dr. Fikensher, our homiletics professor who taught um, preaching, right? Homiletics, it's the science of preaching, the art of preaching. Um, and he asked us, you know, if you hear this phrase, love your neighbor, what does that sound like? Does that sound like law or gospel? And typically, uh, people really want to say, oh, it sounds like gospel, right? Um, you want to say it sounds like gospel because it sounds nice. That it's not a bad thing for us to love our neighbor, right? But then when you get down to it, you have to say, well, it's really law. And that kind of throws people for a loop uh, because the knee-jerk reaction is sometimes to say, well, law bad, gospel good. You know, the law is harsh and unforgiving and uh, always accuses, um, lex semper accuse it kind of thing, and that's true. But we have, um, in a lot of ways, it's very easy to fall into this uh, gospel reductionism uh, mindset that says, um, you know, law bad, gospel good, that the law is something that is unattainable and therefore it's something that we should avoid or we should, uh, well, maybe not even avoid, that's kind of a crass way to put it, but it's something that we should um, kind of tread lightly on because we don't want to burden people too badly. We just want to give them the gospel, right? We just want to give them the gospel and they'll just... And, and things will be good then. But there's the problem, right? I mean, you just got tricked <laughs> by saying, love your neighbor. What is that, law or gospel? And your knee-jerk reaction is to say, oh, it's gospel, because it's good, right? It sounds good. Love your neighbor. And you're right. That's because the law is good. The law is perfect. The law of God is perfect and good for us. He lays down these things so that we would do them um, and so that we would do the right thing, right? But then that kind of clashes, right? So we think to ourselves, well, okay, so I thought that the law was, you know, it was harsh and undesirable to talk about because, you know, who can keep up with it? And as good Lutherans, we would rightfully um, understand that, the law always accuses. And this is true. So what happens when you hear these things like, be merciful even as your father is merciful? Or judge not and you will not be judged. Condemn not and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Give and it will be given to you. This is law, right? Yet we, we, we do have to be careful here because... If we look at this, and we look at it as just some sort of moralistic teaching, uh, that's what a lot of Christians nowadays do. 
they will see this and they will say, well, that's a good teaching, you know, judge not. But what they do is they wind up separating it from the person who's actually speaking it, right? Who's actually talking here? It's Jesus, right? Jesus is the one who is merciful, right? He will be our judge on the last day, yet for those who believe that he has redeemed us by taking the law upon himself to fulfill for our sake, we will be judged innocent and righteous in his sight because of him, right? He will not condemn us, but he will vindicate us because we are forgiven. And all this will be given to us freely, right? That's kind of where it says, you know, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over will be put in your lap. That's actually... That's, that's, that's talking about, you know, grain and different things that would be weighed on scales in the marketplace that, you know, um, good measure, pressed down, sh- you know, abundance, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. That it's more than what you deserve. It's more than what you could ever pay for. That's what, that's what he's getting at here, is that all this is done for you. Therefore, be merciful. Uh, you, God, your Father, is merciful, therefore you should be merciful. It's not, you know, it's, 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 it's one of these things that we have to be very careful with how we talk about it and making sure not to separate it from the person who's talking, the person who's giving us this word. Um, because this is not an if-then statement, you know, there are pitfalls we could fall into. We could see this as an if-then statement, like, if I don't judge, then I won't be judged. Or if I don't condemn, then I won't be condemned. Or if I forgive, then I'll be forgiven. Or if I give, then it'll be given to me, right? We see this sometimes as a, um, uh, an, an if-then statement, as if we could ever earn these things, right? But it's the fact that like I said before, um, Christ will be our judge on the last day, but he will judge us as righteous for his sake, right? Because of him and what he has done. He won't condemn us but our, because our sin has been condemned and we've been washed clean of it, right? And we will be forgiven, right? And we have, will all this have been given to us And he says, for with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Now, this is is a law statement, right? Um, But there is the understanding of the gospel in there, that these things have been done for you, um, and that there should be an understanding of sanctification. Now, you can't separate sanctification, which is God making us holy, setting us apart, right? You can't separate sanctification from justification. And you can't put sanctification before justification. Um, If you're not justified before God by having your sins forgiven, then you can't be holy. You can't be made holy because your sins are not forgiven. You aren't justified yet. And this is where a lot of Christians nowadays um, get into a lot of trouble. Um, 
there are a lot of Christian denominations uh, out there, I'd say in the mainstream, in the uh, um, uh, mainline de- denominations, um, there are some, there are, you know, there's Episcopalians, um, um, Presbyterians, Methodists, um, and certain quote-unquote Lutherans um, that we um, have out in America right now that um, take these things and they use them in such a way to where they, they're acting very nicely, or they think they're acting nicely, but that's not what God calls us to do. They're acting nicely because they'll take things like homosexuality, which is a sin, and they will not call it out because of things like this, you know, judge not and you will not be judged, right? So they say, well, hey, we're not going to judge you on who you like to have sex with. Um, We're not going to judge you on um, how you live your life, you know, because Jesus said not to, so we're not going to do it. Um, And that is not living in a way that God has called us to be. Um, Certainly, we do not call people out for their sin in a hypocritical way. Like, we do not, you know, say, um, uh, I can't stand people who gossip. Like, like, (laughs) sorry to use a pop culture reference or a meme reference, but like Karen over here, which is, you know, all the Karens out there in... (laughs) in the congregation here at Resurrection. I'm not talking about you. Y'all are, y'all are great, all right? I'm just using that name as, as an example. You know, you just say, or I'll just say like uh, Stephanie or Courtney or whatever, whatever. You know, it's like, I can't stand gossiping. Like, you know, Courtney, she just goes on and on and on and on and just like, I can't stand her because da, 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 da. you're gossiping then. You're being hypocritical, right? Or let's say, you know, uh, it's like homosexuality is wrong, yet the person who says that happens to be in their own sexual sin by living with their girlfriend or something like that, you know, out of wedlock. Uh, but they're saying homosexuality is wrong. It's a sin against God. And it's just like, well, but you're, you've been living with this woman that you're not married to for the past how many years, right? So, and it's not that we'll always be perfect when we call these things out, but it is that we call these things out in love, to say, listen, we're not just trying to harangue you. We're not just trying to make you feel bad for the sake of feeling bad. But the problem is, is that if you don't understand that this is a sin that needs repentance, you need to repent of this. You need to turn away from this. If you don't see that, then you'll think this is not something I need to be forgiven of. Right? So... We have to be careful on how we apply this, because if we apply this apart from the grace and love of Christ, then we miss the point. We become legalistic, right? Or we become hypocritical, okay? So there's, there's two sides of the, of the coin, but either one is accusatory and legalistic on certain measures. So I'm going to leave that there. <laughs> there's a lot there to digest, but this is, God, this is God's word. This is law, but it is understood, and I won't even say that it's in the context of the third use of the law, but I will say that it should not be separated from who is speaking, that Jesus Christ not only is the lawgiver, but he is the one who fulfills the law, right? That he is merciful, 
he vindicates us. He makes us righteous in God's sight by his work and his measure of carrying the law and the weight of our sin on his shoulders to the cross. So we should understand it in that context. Otherwise, if we just go around saying, judge not, condemn not, forgive, give, right? It becomes legalistic or it becomes hypocritical. And that's kind of what Jesus gets at here in this next half of our uh, text here, where he says, he told them a parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? Um, a disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. Um, and you see, this is, uh, this is uh, talking about catechesis. Uh, now, catechesis is kind of a big word. It's not a word that we use outside of church, really. But catechesis goes on all throughout your life, no matter where you are, you're being catechized. Now, um, catechesis, that's where we get, you know, we have the word catechism, like, a, like Luther's small catechism, the large catechism, things like that. Catechism and catechize, and it comes from uh, the Greek word katekeo, uh, which means to speak back, right, to echo what has been spoken to you, which is typically how we, you know, classically, that's how the faith was taught, was that it was told to us, or it was, it was told to believers or those who were being um, evangelized, and it was supposed to be spoken back. So it's, it's confessing back. So that's, that's usually how you teach, you know, kids, you know, repeat after me. I believe, I believe in God the Father Almighty, in God the Father Almighty. You know, it's back and forth, back and forth. That is catechesis. We are being catechized all the time. And you may be asking, how? We are catechized all the time, either by God's word or by what we hear and see out in the world. Um, which is why it's very important here when you see, can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? Well, how do you lead a blind man? By his ears. You have to tell him where he's going. Tell him how to get there right, that you also need to be able to see the way clearly in order to tell them these things, tell them the truth about who they are, why they're blind, you know, um, and those who are Christians are those who have their eyes opened to the truth of God and his will in both his law and his gospel. So we see here that a blind man, if you're blind in your trespasses and sins, just like we were talking about in, as Jesus gets to with the log and the speck, right? It's hyperbolic language that you can't be a hypocrite in these things by saying, you know, like I said before, homosexuality is bad, says the guy who is living with his girlfriend, right? Who's committing his own sexual sin. Um, so we have to understand these things in the context that those who have those who are repentant, those who understand that they need forgiveness from God for their sin, they are the ones who ought to be calling out to those who are still blind in their trespasses and sin because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ, right? Um, 
And it's interesting here, verse 40, a disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. Like I said, you're always being catechized, whether from what you read and see and hear out in the world or from what you read and see and hear in church and in God's word. Because it's kind of a two-edged sword here, right? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. Who is your teacher? Um, because if your teacher is Satan, which is, he is the, the prince of this world, um, he is the one who is always after us, as, you know, we saw last week um, as a, lion prowling around seeking whom he will devour that if he is your teacher if you just take what this world gives you and say you know oh you know i'm okay you're okay homosexuality whatever do whatever you want in your in your own private life as long as you're not bothering me i don't care or if you say well okay well so they're having drag queen story hour um at the library i just won't take my kids or if you say, well, you know, just, you know, I'm okay, you're okay, just leave it all alone, go do your own thing, even if you are saying things about God's word that is not correct, you know, you're, you're not really trying to walk with people, you're not really trying to show them the truth, you're just kind of letting it go. And in some ways, your conscience is being dulled, um, and it's not that you have to be a jerk about it. It's that at some point, it's worth telling people the truth. And for the sake of their own good, not so that you'll feel good, just in the fact that, hey, I told them what was right and did my good deed for the day. No, it's that you're sharing the truth with them because it's good for them to know, right? That God's word is w what gives life. Um, so that we see that if you're a disciple of Christ, you will not be above your teacher. He says, but everyone when he is fully trained will be like his teacher. He says something similar in other in another gospel, I believe it's um, John's gospel, where he says, you know, um, that a servant is not above his master and that if they hate you, know that they first hated me. That to be a disciple of Christ is, it means to suffer. And sometimes suffer as he has suffered for us. Not that we are gaining our salvation by suffering, but that we are bearing the marks of Christ. And what are the, mar what are the marks of Christ? Pierced nails, or pierced pierced hands and feet and pierced side. You know, it's, Paul talks about it a lot, that he faced a lot of persecution in his life because of what he had to say about our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, that it is the truth and it is a stumbling block and foolishness to, to whoever hears it that doesn't believe, and we're going to suffer for it, but we will be more like our teacher, Christ, as a result. Um that there's also the other side of it, that um, 
after full after full training by whoever your teacher is, whether it be Satan or Jesus, you will be like them. Um, in that, with training from Satan by just going along to get along in the world, leaving everything alone, not speaking up where you need to speak up, not speaking the truth where the truth must be spoken for the sake of not just the truth, but for the good of those around you, um, then you will be fully like Satan, you know, complacent in these things um, and liable to losing your eternal salvation as a result. It's, you know, I'm not trying to, well, unjustly condemn people here, but at the same time, this is serious business. Um, serious business where we have to understand that to be a disciple of Christ means that we will be fully trained and we will be like our teacher, Christ, being fully trained in living his word, hearing his word, speaking his word, and receiving the suffering as a result. It's not easy. Um, and Jesus never promised that it would be. He promised that he would be with us during it all, right? Um, so there's a lot here. That's, that's, that's really all I can really get through right now, except, you know, there's the whole part about how can you say to your brother, brother, let me take out the speck that is in your eye when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye. You hypocrite, first take out the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take out the speck that is in your brother's eye. Now, this is talking about, I'll just say this and we'll move on here because I've already spent plenty of time on it. Um, this is talking about what it means to be in a relationship with fellow Christians. There needs to be forgiveness. We are going to sin against each other. Yet, at the same time, we have to understand, we have to understand that um, forgiveness, um, it's hard. It's hard. And mo more often than not, we're, we're going to have to understand how sinful we are and how much forgiveness we are in need of before we can approach our brother or sister in Christ and compel them <laughs> and admonish them, exhort them to repentance for whatever specific sin there is. It's, it's, it's a, a messy situation because we are sinners. And people in the church, we're not perfect. We sin, and we need forgiveness. And we need to forgive each other as well, right? That's what God wants for us is a nice, quiet, peaceable life where we are living in harmony, harmony with each other. And if someone sins against the other, there must be repentance and there must be forgiveness, right? so that we do not act like hypocrites. And a hypocrite, uh, hypocritos, I believe it is in the, in the Greek, uh, where it, it was a, a word for an actor who wore a mask, right? Pretending to be something that he's not. You know, you, you can't just, you know, act all self-righteous expecting people to heed what you have to say when you're coming at them with accusations. Now, um, the fun part is that that is my job as a pastor. <laughs> there will be times where I, I, I will have to exhort, rebuke, admonish, call people to repentance. In fact, I do it every week, or at least I try to, where I call people to repentance in the preaching of the Word, 
Uh, if there is a specific instance where I have to admonish someone, it's not that I'm speaking because I'm so great or that I am uh, a super Christian or anything like that. It's that I have been put in this office to make uh, a judgment and a possible condemnation on someone who is unrepentant, right? Um, the whole point is restoration. The whole point is um, r- redemption through God's grace, or by God's grace through faith in Christ, right? Um, that I may have to call somebody to repentance. And it's not because I am so special, but it is because I am acting in the stead of Christ uh, in my office as a pastor, having to do that. And um, I don't do that lightly. Um, I haven't had to do it yet. I'm still new to the ministry. I'm sure with how long I'd like to be in the ministry, I'll have plenty of opportunity to call people to repentance, specifically. Uh, But the thing is, is that, you know, sometimes even Christians who aren't pastors have to call people to repentance, especially if they've been directly sinned against. Like if, if um, you know, let's say, uh, <laughs> just from a familial perspective, uh, hopefully some of y'all can at least understand this, even if you're not married, you know. If I went in and I, uh, in, I went into my house and uh, my wife had, had prepared, um, you know, a nice meal or something like that. And I thought to myself, hey, that's really nice. And I just kind of took a bite out of it. And then she came in and said, what did you do that for? I was bringing that to the potluck later on at church. You know, I'm, I'm kind of stealing this from another pastor. But it's, uh, I'm pretty sure it's probably going to happen with uh, me and my wife at some point in time. But... With you know, if I came in and I took a bite of you know this this cake or this pie or this meal that she had made for this potluck, and and then and then uh, um, she comes in and she says, "What are you doing? You 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 just ate that. I'm supposed to take that over to the church for people to eat. What is that going to do if I say, well, I don't think that I need to ask for your forgiveness. It is my house. It's." perfectly acceptable for me to understand for or for me to think that that could be something that I could eat. No. Um, what's important is that I ask for forgiveness. <laughs> because how can trust be restored if I don't acknowledge what I did was wrong, right? And I don't repent of that and ask for forgiveness. Um, that's a small scale. When you get into issues of trust with marriage or with friendship that where there are higher stakes like theft or betrayal or, you know, some sort of problem on that level, that's where um, repentance and forgiveness are essential. And actually, think about this, and we'll move on from here because we've been on this for a while now, but think about this, all right? The refusal to forgive is just as damning as the refusal to repent, so if I was um, unwilling to repent, if I, you know, wronged somebody, that would be just as damning if I was to ask their forgiveness and they not forgive me, even though they are a Christian and they have been forgiven by Christ. That kills faith. Both sides kill faith. If you 
refuse to forgive or you refuse to repent, both sides, that will kill faith if left unchecked, right? So, a lot here. We're going to leave that there. We're going to move on. Um, let's go to the... Um, so, keeping all that in mind, there's a lot there. Let's, let's, let's start with the intro it. How about that? The intro it is from Psalm 27, uh, verse, 30, uh, verse 3 through 4a and verse 5. The antiphon is Psalm 27, verses 1 through 2. So, as always, the intro it is all over the place, but there's good stuff here. So, here we go. Here's the intro it. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing have I asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, for he will hide me in the shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is, my, is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. So we see this, that... Uh, we see where, where true redemption comes from. It's kind of playing on that understanding that the gospel text is not full of if-then statements, right? It's not about what we do. It's that God has shown His grace to us, therefore we should be grace, gracious to others, right? Um, that good measure pressed down, shaken together, running over will be put into your lap. These things have been given to us free and graciously by God. Therefore, if we do not um, measure these things out in the same way, um, for with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Um, dealing with someone in an ungracious, unmerciful way when God has dealt with you grac graciously and mercifully, that's a problem, right? Um, but God is the one who... Is, is our light and salvation. So whom, who shall we fear? Um, the Lord is a stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid, right? He will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. It is all God's doing in these things, okay? Moving on to our Old Testament text. Now we get this, um, we get into a different stripe here um, from what we had talked about in our gospel uh, just a little bit. We'll see here. Genesis 50, verses 15 through 21. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, It may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. So they sent a message to Joseph saying, Your father gave this command before he died. Say to Joseph, please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin because they did because they did evil to you. And now please please excuse me. Please 
Oh. And now please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of, of the God of your father. Joseph wept when they spoke to him. His brothers also came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, Do not fear, for I for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that, my, that many people should be kept alive as, you, as they are today. So do not fear, I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. This is an image of the reconciliation, the grace that we are to show others because of what God has done for us, right? That... Um, as believers, we are going to face hardships, persecutions, just as, you know, um, a disciple is not above his teacher. If our teacher, Jesus Christ, was persecuted because, you know, he's, he's perfect. He did everything right. And look what they did to him. They killed him, right? Um, for those who do everything right and then have all this hardship and calamity fall upon them as if they don't deserve it, um, know that you are being prepared, you are being strengthened, you are being built up in a certain way by seeing, you know, it's similar to Joseph and his brothers. Um, he says, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Joseph is a, is a type of Christ in the Old Testament, right? There's this, there's many, there's, there's several aspects where he, you know, by all, um, uh, by all accounts, he was dead, right? He was thrown into the pit, um, he sold into slavery, put into prison, uh, and then he came back to life, right? In a certain way, you know, he came, he, he was um, cast into the pit given a nice job then, you know, worked his way up into the ranks, you know, God's grace was shown to him, and then he was thrown back into prison because, you know, of the false accusation from Potiphar's wife. And, and you know, all, all this started with the evil act of his brothers. But he says, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. See, that's the type of Christ that that, you know, Joseph is, that... Pilate did not mean for the scourging and crucifixion of Christ, as, you know, he did not mean it for good. Um, the Pharisees, the high priest, uh, Caiaphas, um, they didn't mean for Jesus' death to be for good. They meant it for evil. But God meant it for good uh, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive. So um, from this, we see that we as Christians, to be Christ-like means not just to you know, cross all our T's and dot all our I's, but to understand that persecution will come where the word of God is preached in its purity. That there will be those who will harangue you and who will even take the scripture and twist it against you, just like with our gospel texts, where you will stand there, and rightfully call someone to repentance, yet they will turn around and, and take God's word and say, judge not, right? And those are some of the things that we're going to have to bear with. Uh, which brings us to our epistle text uh, from Romans chapter 8. 
um, verses 18 through 23, where St. Paul writes, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Here in Romans, we see an extension of this from what Joseph was um, getting at here, right? That we as Christians, I mean, right now you can see that uh, we're going through a lot of problems uh, in, in, in the world. Our institutions are failing us. Um, you know, universities, uh, secular universities, uh, the secular powers that be, they're becoming more and more hostile toward God and toward those who um, are faithful to his word and his doctrine. And there are sufferings, and they're probably going to get worse. But we must keep in mind that the suffering, sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be, re to be revealed to us on the last day when Christ shall um, come back in glory and raise the dead uh, and all those who believe in him, who have been granted new life in him, they will be given that eternal life in both body and soul as his fully restored new creation, right? Excuse me. <laughs> um, now, this passage from Romans, uh, I'll end here. Obviously, we're at the end of our, um, our time here. But to, to close this out, there's something to keep in mind here from Romans 8. That there's, there's, there's more here in Romans that could be said. Uh, Paul definitely writes more about how, you know, the, that uh, the Spirit um, groans for us, right? The, um, uh, he says, the, the, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Um, you probably heard while I was reading these texts, um, you know, and I've said it in some other, um, some other episodes, maybe back when I was doing the congregation at prayer, where uh, I have a, a speech impediment. I've got a stutter, and um, it's not always easy. Um, and I don't want to make it a, a all all about me or anything like that. But just just to give you an example that uh, that there are certain things in our life that God puts there, um, certain sufferings, um, groanings. I guess you could say. I think 
more often than not, my suffering turns into groaning just because of the nature of uh, that particular thorn in the flesh. Uh, you know, you probably heard, I, I, I have a hard time saying, um, <laughs> I have a hard time saying forgiveness and things like that. And anybody here at Resurrection will know that when it comes to confession absolution time during the, uh, during the divine service, when, you know, um, where I say, you know, um, uh, uh, to grant us forgiveness, <laughs> see, and sometimes I can get it, sometimes I can't. Uh, but in Divine Service three, you know, where he says, um, where I say, um, yeah, let us draw near with a true heart and confess our sins unto God our Father, beseeching Him in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to grant us forgiveness. <laughs> That's just one of the sufferings I have to endure. Uh, and I get up there every Sunday and I do it regardless. Um, and I know that that suffering will end someday. And in some ways, that suffering is not even comparable to someone who is suffering with cancer. Someone who is suffering from terminal illness, right? Um, their life is at stake. Their life is, you know, they are facing death. I just face an inconvenience in some ways. But regardless of what the suffering is, um, regardless of whether it's a speech impediment, of whether it's terminal cancer, of whether it is a uh, brain tumor, of whether it is the isolation that you have to face because of this pandemic and you being at high risk, Regardless of these things, these sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. That in our lives as disciples of Jesus Christ, our teacher, we, in our suffering, will be fully trained. That we shouldn't run from suffering. Uh, we shouldn't necessarily... Uh, seek it out all the time, like some um, of the first Christians who would um, actively go into martyrdom. Uh, but when it comes our way, if we can't avoid it, the best thing we can do is realize what God is doing for us, that while Satan is using it for evil, and to try and separate us, to try and get us to despair, that God is using it for good. He's using it for us to rely more on Him, to understand just where our help comes from, um, just where our daily bread comes from, where the forgiveness of sins comes from, where life everlasting comes from, and that as creatures that have been subjected to this fall into sin, we, as those who have received the light of Christ through hearing his word, by having that word washed upon us in the water, by um, having that word given to us to eat in the body and blood of Christ, 
that Christ recreates us as new creations in the preaching of his word and through the daily repentance we engage in through our baptism. And he recreates us through the receiving of the body and blood of Christ. That in all these ways, he is with us. In all these ways, though we are suffering here and now, we understand that he suffered for us and that we are given that blessing that God would love us so much that he would come down, live the life of suffering that so many, so many of us live, and all of us live to a certain extent as well, and that he would go even farther by suffering on the cross for our sins, showing us his mercy, so therefore we could be merciful to others, and therefore we could be more like him as our teacher. So I hope that uh, was a good preparation for this coming Sunday. Um, God's blessings to you. We are out of time, but um, uh, we will put the sermon uh, from Sunday up on YouTube for our YouTube channel, which will also be on our website. So if you want to see those things, be sure to check out resurrectionfbg.org. That's R-E-S-U-R-R-E-C-T-I-O-N-F-B-G at, you know, dot O-R-G. I'm hoping, hopefully I got the spelling right. I mean, with a name like Bovinghausen, I became a pretty good speller. Anyways, um, God's blessings to you on the rest of your week. Have a blessed and safe uh, 4th of July. Um, make sure to practice proper uh, safety work. Uh, sorry, practice proper firework safety <laughs> and uh, make sure to uh, get up and go to church on Sunday if your church is open uh, if you're in Fredericksburg please come by and see us um, here on North Lano um, look us up on Google um, which you see a map on our website as well God's peace um, God's blessings and God's speed to you all and uh, we'll talk to you next time <laughs>